Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Ryman. On the podcast today, we have Zifi Dupolo uh, on the on the show. Welcome, Zifi. Hi, hi, hi. Awesome. Good awesome. to be here. Yeah, great to have you. Um, before we get started, I just want to uh, acknowledge that I'm producing this podcast on the territories of the Kla'am and Klehus Homoko and Comox First Nations. Uh, these are indigenous communities that are in and around the area that I live. Uh, they used to be one, one territory, one borderless um, nation before we settlers came in and moved them into reserves. Um, um, and uh, so just uh, grateful to be able to present and work on these unceded lands. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us kind of a bit about, uh, you know, uh, how you got into the field of, uh, you know, behavior analysis, um, uh, where you are, and and kind of you know, what led you to the work you're doing today. All righty, all righty. Great, great, great. So my name is Asia Fakakumokulo, but a lot of people call me Zifi because that's much easier and then they don't hopefully bite their tongue trying to pronounce my first name. Um, so I'm from Nigeria and I have a daughter who's got autism hmm. who was formally diagnosed. And when I say formally, had a differential diagnosis um, just a quick six years ago. However, before then, um, she didn't have that differential diagnosis. And we went through all sorts of things, trying to get her the help she needed back in Nigeria. Mm. And after 20 odd years of being in the oil and gas industry, I figured just be part of the solution. And so I left my job, nine to five, um, all the money I was making. <laughs> and decided to go figure out how to help. Mm. And so I wrote up a little, you know, like a one or two page memo of what I'd been through, what my family was going through and all of that, and what mm. I would like to do in terms of contributing to the society mm. and having individuals on a spectrum have access to the um, help or the service that they needed and so i sent this um i sent this um memo or whatever it's called mm. out to different parts of the world and i ended up with a, a professor emeritus in canada incidentally ben mm. um i think at the point he was at the time he was in um i think he probably was in around brock university yep. or something that's where i found him but um, he had retired, but then he pointed me in the direction of the BACB, ah. said, that's what I need to investigate. I shouldn't be looking at speech. And as soon as I did that, it made sense to me. And so I started in 2014 um, with the RBT training mm. and I had that 40 hour training. And when I, my husband also attended and mm. um, upon completing that, I figured, well, yeah, it does make sense. And so I went on to do the BCABA, took the certification exam whilst doing my master's at um, the TZ Center, master's in ABA. Wow. I finished with that in um, 2017 and then went on to do the BCBA exam in 2018 at the same time starting the PhD. Wow. So that's, that is, it's been um, an amazing journey. And in between, I'm still caring for our daughter, giving her the support that she's required and um, um, starting up a service company, so to speak, where we're training behavior technicians and people at the mid-tier level. So hopefully that's me in a nutshell. I just completed the PhD, by the way. Yeah, congratulations. Um, last week. Thank you. So, so it's so it's so I should have introduced you as Dr. Zifi. Ah, that yeah. doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it not sure it matters. After all that work, it definitely matters. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah, absolutely, Dr. Zifi. For mm -hmm. sure. Super cool. 
So your daughter, so your daughter, what do you, what do you mean by a differential diagnosis? What's What's that? So what happens typically, or what happens, it still happens a bit, is that um, so people go online, for instance, at least that's what they've done in Nigeria prior to now, mm. was just get any free screening tool. And sure. so we know that screening just asks you a bunch of questions, but with either a clinical diagnosis or tool and instrument to actually examine and find out whether this person is on a spectrum or not, separate whatever is going on mm. with them. You know, it's what I refer to as that differential. Yeah, there are various things, there are different neurodevelopmental disorders that probably present similar to autism. So it is important to tease out and be ex- very sure of what's going on. So that's mm. what she got about five, six odd years ago. And she and you say she's 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 an adult, she's in her twenties now or yeah, she just she turned um so she's about twenty two. She just turned twenty twenty two okay. in in two twenty now of this year. Yeah. So she was around fifteen when she got the diagnosis. So why why did it take so long? So um at home in Nigeria where I'm from, there there aren't any tools that can be used. As far back as 20, 30 years ago, so people would just have possibly second guess what's going on. Mm. And the best would be to go online and find something. And some people are clinicians who, some of them who understood a little bit or had an inkling as what autism was because these things aren't taught in medical school why Mm. i don't know that's a different conversation sure yeah so they would take those things and based on the icd criteria or the dsm it would check and there's nothing wrong with that right Mm. that's a starting point but after that that's it okay so that's what she got we were asked a bunch of questions yes no section this section that and we were told she had autism i'd never heard the word in my entire life Mm. yes so i had to do a lot of research and my husband too had to do a lot of research you know so it's completely strange completely new however very recently people have started to use a few of the tools that are available online the free ones but these are tools that are geared towards early childhood. So we're talking uh, of zero to three-year-olds. You sure. know, when, so there's, there was nothing for anybody after the age of three mm. that was readily available. And not just in Nigeria, but um, globally, really. The work on um, adolescence is just starting, adolescents and adults. So that's mm. how come it took a while to... Gotcha have that um, diagnosis. And that's because she was also transitioning into an environment where they said to us that if they didn't have any clear-cut diagnosis, um, you know, examined not just by the clinician, but using some tool that she wasn't going to get the support that we would like for her. So Mm. we had to do something. So in, in Nigeria, they did require some of that. So everyone wants to have control of their life, to make their own choices, decisions, and set goals that are meaningful and important to them. And students who are neurodivergent are no exception. Self-determined research indicates a host of positive quality of life outcomes for people who are neurodivergent, including better employment and independent living outcomes. Whether your students want to attend college or obtain employment after high school, They will need to acquire the skills necessary to pursue career life directions that are personally meaningful and are of their own volition. The self-determination course offered by CBI is an ideal tool for teachers to help students develop the essential competencies for self-determined behavior. The course consists of five modules with comprehensive lesson plans that include embedded resources easily adapted for your diverse learners. 
Using the built-in self-reflection and assessment exercises, teachers can assess students' growth towards their self-determination and self-advocacy behaviors. If you're interested in learning more, check out the CBI Consultants webpage at www.cbiconsultants.com. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is Africa. What well, we transitioned her out of the country. Oh, I see. So because she had gotten to the end of, I mean, of um, well, towards the mid adolescence. So we're looking like you said, 15, 16. Yeah. And that was just towards the tail end of secondary school. And she needed to, the next step, obviously, was higher. And then there was absolutely nothing for us at home in terms of the support that she would require going forward. So hmm. she had to transition out. We actually transitioned her to Canada. Oh. And yeah, <laughs> so they did require um, some, you know, that information in order to be able to provide the proper support. Gotcha. And so is she in Canada now? Um, so she just graduated last week from university. So she's just come back home to spend the summer and we'll figure out what next. Awesome. What so where did she go to school? So she did finish her college in, um, well, secondary school, basically, um, in Fort Erie. Mm. And then she attended the University of Windsor. Ah, very good. Very good. Yeah. Right on, right on. I'm actually, I'm heading to Windsor in a week. Oh, uh, lovely. Yeah. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, I like yeah. it. It's a nice little town and you know which was one of the reasons that she went there it was just easy to maneuver and we wouldn't have sleepless nights wondering and worrying where she was or what was yeah, going yeah yeah oh that's great yeah no, i haven't been yet so i uh, look forward okay. to checking it out nice nice um right on so so in Nigeria, I mean, you didn't even, yeah. you didn't know what autism was. But did 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 anybody really know what autism was in Nigeria or at the time? At the time, a few people had heard about autism. Yeah. But again, what is the definition of knowing? You know, that's something mm. we define knowing, not yes. that what's that? Is it just hearing the term? Right. Is it knowing what the symptoms are? Is it knowing the diagnostic criteria, or is it having that information and that translating into service, mm. if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, people. some people had heard about autism. Some people were working with individuals with autism, providing service within the um, their capabilities and the mm -hmm. information they had at the point, you know, at mm -hmm. that point in time. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And so was was did behavior analysis even exist in Nigeria sort of before you started doing your thing um not not really because we but we had people who said that they were implementing ABA okay okay so we had people who would come into the country from maybe some other african country uh, and at the time it was it was a potpourri of things they were doing and saying it was ABA. So yes, mm. ABA in in name, in terminology, but not the actual science. Yes, gotcha, gotcha. A mixture of a blend of different things. Yes, yes. Which which isn't that uncommon anywhere in the world. Um, yeah. Uh, that mm -hmm. folks who aren't sort of in 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 if ABA isn't regulated, then people just they would do their own thing and sometimes call yeah. it that, you know? Yeah. But I, I've always told people it, it's part of the story. It's part of the journey. You yeah. know, you, you can't, it's like you're going to win some now. Part of the story would be you leaving your house, getting in on the plane and all of that and everything else that happened in between. Um, so that's it. I don't, people, people worked with what they had within the information that they had at mm. the time. Mm, and pretty mm. much the same, like you said, it's, it's still happening world over. But as we understand the the um, condition better, as we understand our field better, and because it's a science, it keeps changing and we're doing all these experiments and 
we as individuals, if we become more willing to mm. learn and improve ourselves, then it just gets better. Yeah. If you see what I mean. So yeah, no, that for is sure. a process. It's a process, really. Yeah. And that's where we are as a country right now, going yeah. through that process. Love that. And so I read somewhere that you were you've had a few firsts when it comes to sort of credentialing. Can you tell me a little bit about that? <laughs> okay. So like I said, in 2014, when I started, there were a bunch of us that did the ABA, the RBT training, right. I beg your pardon. And I just went ahead and applied when it became, because at that point, uh, BACB hadn't started setting exams for RBT. Uh, so I quickly jumped on it. And so became the first and then guided a few more people into becoming RBTs. The same, when I became the BCABA, I was actually the first one again, wow. dragging a couple of people along with me and saying, <laughs> look, we have to do this. And then again, the first BC, <laughs> BCBA, incidentally, the only one that, that the only, so the only Nigerian BCBA that lives in Nigeria because we've got other Nigerian BCBAs that are not resident mm. in the country, if you see what I mean. So there are tons of them outside of Nigeria, including the first people that mentored me and taught me, you know, took me through the RBT coursework and everything. Um, they used to be in Nigeria, but they left about six, seven years ago as well, right about the time. I transitioned mm. to do my master's as well. So that's the first. Um, th those are all the first. <laughs> are you still the only BCBA in Nigeria? or That's resident in Nigeria, yes. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Okay. So, okay. And we've okay. got, we've now got um, three BCBA, which are in my organization, mm. and one is um, practicing independently. So. And sorry, and they're and they're and they're what again? The BCABAs. BCABAs, gotcha, right? Yes, but and what then, we've got, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go on. No, you go. Yeah, yeah. So we've got, you know, there's a new credentialing body, the QABA. Mm -hmm. So who they stepped in when you know with all of this international thing with BACB started, and yeah. so we've kind of moved over to QABA gotcha. for those that are resident in the country and we're training. So I have trainees, we have colleagues who do the training as well. And so people are getting certified under the QABA board. So yeah, okay. Gotcha. So they are feeling, feeling a gap that nice. was created by the exit of BACB from international um, credentialing. Yes, yes. And I think there might be a few folks doing the other one as well, the IBA. Um um, I, I don't follow the IBA. I, I really don't follow them because again, it's it's not just about getting all these credentials. You need to maintain them. Mm. <laughs> it does cost good money to keep abreast and just be sure that you're so. Right. Uh, so so yeah. you're just stuck with one and. <laughs> with two, because I mean, we yeah, have yeah. to do the training for Q, you know, for more right. um, professionals. Um, so QABA. I'm certified to do trainings mm. like UABA all okay. the way from behavioral technician to the master's level. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. And so mm -hmm. how, how does that work? So uh, are these folks that are, you know, getting the full UBA sort of qualification, mm -hmm. they're getting master's degrees as well? Yeah, so they have their master's degree because the QBA, just like the BCBA, is a master's level credential. So you have to have a master's, a relevant master's, yeah. and then do the ABA coursework. And okay. do they, and, and so typically, have they been like yourself and had to sort of take master's degrees in other countries and whatnot? Yeah, but we do have, so in Nigeria, of course, you have master's degrees around psychology and education and oh, okay. the relevant courses. So they don't necessarily have to go outside to get the master's mm. oh, degree. Okay. Yeah, so the only thing is that with the master, you then do the ABA coursework. You follow mm. the competency level, like the task list, basically. Yeah. You have to follow that and do all of that training in ABA. And and is that, now is that done somewhere else or are you doing that or? Yeah, like, so myself yeah. and I have two other colleagues 
who provide the QABA um, training, coursework training. Oh, okay. In, in, yeah, yeah. So but they don't need all, to actually go to a university to take those courses? They can no, go no, through no. They, you they or... have, yeah. It's similar to when BACB, you know, they have the verified course um, sequence of yes. coursework providers. So it's that same thing. So right. we have very, I'm one of the verified coursework providers. Oh, perfect. Well, that's yeah. great. So what? how are things looking then these days? How many folks are are certified? Oh, we're getting there where the numbers are increasing. Um, I don't have the exact yeah. figures on yeah. the top. Of, but I mean, at least between the behavior technicians, the mid-tier and the master's level, we definitely should be up to 100, if not more. Right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. And And is it working well? What conversations I've had with some folks in in um, both other African countries and sort of some other countries around the world where, you know, it's relatively new, there seems to be this sort of problem of a lot of RBTs with no supervision. Um, is, is that been an issue for you at all in, in, in your neck of the woods? So for me and the people that I train or work with, they get their supervision because, I mean, obviously, if you train too many behavior technicians, then, and you don't have enough mid-tier or yeah. um, master's level, then who does the supervision? So it's got to be a fine balance. Okay, mm. so, um, so when people come on to have their behavior technician training, for instance, I make sure I emphasize, say to them, you've got to get supervision so hmm. they are uh, the ones that are serious about it do have supervision hmm. okay hmm. because it is a requirement that you must be supervised yeah. and um what one thing that is going on now or we have the benefit of is that for every country that signed up to qaba they have in-country representatives Mm. have all those meetings, you know, kind of something that was a bit different from BACB where you had just one person kind of monitoring, didn't have proper oversight. And yeah, all yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean that there, there won't be some bad eggs in the mm. basket. Sure. <laughs> but those that, um, at least for me, the people that I've trained or the people working with and for me, they get their supervision. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, in my organization shades of life we have um we have at least um about seven eight people on supervisory level and each if each person is supervising behavior technicians then that's something and we yeah. don't take on more than we can chew really so yeah. i think the, the greater concern should be um the ratio of behavior technicians to the supervisors. Yeah, really. right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, so what about, um, like, who's, who's, so who's accessing services in Nigeria? Like, and, 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 and like, in term, and then sort of related to that, how, you know, how, how, how do they pay for those things? Yeah, so families. Okay, with with persons that have got autism or other behavioral issues yeah. or developmental challenges that we can attend to with the science of ABA, so yeah. they access service. Um, they, most of them are private, mm. so they pay out of pocket again because there isn't that um, much of government support or right now mm. or when mm. you have a system in place that you can just um have the insurance cover that said there is insurance for other health issues right mm. now and um so that the that the way that works is that companies where individuals work take out the insurance policies so group insurance for certain services but it hasn't um, trickled down to those that would require services, ABA-based services, if you see what I mean. So mm. 
lot of people are still paying out of pocket. Mm. And so yeah. is it is it mostly, you know, kind of, kind of rich folks or yeah, well, <laughs> like like wealthier folks that are then well, so you have the it's so again, yeah, that class thing that happens everywhere in the world, okay? So you have the wealthy folks who can immediately pay out of pocket or mm-hmm. travel to get access, but we have those that can't afford the whole um payment or investment yep. in terms of a financial investment for the service. So something that I've done and a few more, I don't know them by heart, is start a foundation. Ah. So we have a Shades of Life Foundation and now that I've submitted this thesis, the whole idea is to um, bump up the drive for funds because that's where we get the money to support those that can't afford the service. Okay, mm. so we have a few people like that and then there's just that take on or other foundations can take on. In the alternative, what we do is that when I see such people, we train the, the caregivers, their parents or whoever is a significant other, yeah. and then have them do the intervention. Gotcha. Again, what we learned through COVID is that these primary caregivers, whatever capacity, fathers, moms, whatever, can do a fantastic job if they are coached properly. So mm. we do that as well. We train the parents at the same curriculum that the behavior technician would get and then supervise, monitor them. So we're open to them asking questions and that sort of thing, just to empower them. So that's something we do as an organization as well. And is that something that the foundation kind of pays for or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The foundation pays for. So we're like, more people need to give us money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So how how long have you had that foundation and and how's it how's it going? So of, officially we incorporated it nearly two years ago, mm. but unofficially it's been going on for at least five years. Okay, you know yeah. So at the end of the day, we're like you know what, just make the make this formal so that we can you know reach more people in terms of looking for funds and that sort of thing. So yeah. Nice, nice, and uh, and so you've got this company as well, Shades of Life. Mm-hmm. How long has that been around, and what kinds of things are you doing? Is it just early intervention uh, training? What, what, what sort of things are you doing at Shades of Life? Yeah, so it's been around for oh, so initially we started as a service, and then we changed the name to a limited liability. So. Overall, it's been around for nine years now. Mm. So what we do is that we of we do all the assessments, we do diagnoses, we do oh, interventions, wow. we do training, we do coaching, we supervise, we um create awareness, we organize all sorts of things, you know, because again, those science is relatively young, mm. new in the country. So for me. The drive and the passion is to have things done ethically, the right way, person-centered, and all those lovely things that I wanted to see happen for my daughter and what I've seen that can happen if you have the right support. So mm-hmm. right now we're doing a lot of that and training up the younger folks to get out there and do the work as well. Mm-hmm. Those that are interested, we want them to do it right, do it ethically. And just person-centered, basically. Nice, and nice. Hopefully, the money will come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, you do diagnos- diagnosis and assessment and that sort of thing. Is that you yourself doing that, or? Yeah. So, when it comes to things like the ADOS, the 3DI, you know, all those other tools, I do them. Mm. When it comes to the very um, not so technical stuff maybe adaptive skills you know those are the ones the bca bas and the qsbs the other staff yeah. they can handle those ones but the more serious stuff i do myself yeah gotcha gotcha good and are there other folks doing diagnose diagnosis in nigeria or is it pretty rare that is pretty rare but we have um psychiatrists mm-hmm. 
who do so those are the ones that do do mainly the clinical you know going by all the criteria and all of that so yeah, that's yeah. also helpful because um getting trained and get access to a lot of these tools is quite um expensive which is um you know what part of what i did with my research let's mm. you know, see where do we start from what do we do do we develop our own screening tools do we develop how do we make all these things out there culturally sensitive so that these folks who have just been doing their clinical diagnosis based on um all the criteria can have real access to you know relevant tools so we're getting there mm. Well, let's, let's let's talk a little bit about your research. So, what 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 uh, was your master's research and your PhD research sort of the same sort of so general? One led to the other. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So for my master's, what I did was to identify the barriers to assessment and intervention for mm. people with autism and intellectual disabilities, and so one of the things I found besides the knowledge gap was the access to tools mm. so all these assessment and diagnostic tools and so that was what led fed into my phd so we have to start somewhere okay so mm. rather than just saying oh let's focus on service we need to identify the individuals who need the service yeah. in the first place yeah. and so my phd the research work was focused on um validating tools or you know existing tools and if we didn't have enough existing tools do we then develop ours so hmm. um, i was able to validate at least one for autism and one for intellectual disabilities hmm. so hmm. i'm happy so now the next step would be what i want to do next is to use those tools and have a larger population, you know, more participants. Um, right now I had like about a little over 200 participants. So I want to push that, see if I can get up to a thousand. So there's mm. more validity with, you know, with that. So that's yeah, another wow. thing that I'm going to be looking for funding for. <laughs> mm -hmm. Cool, cool. So yeah. So, so curious why you need to do this research. So there, there's lots and lots of screening tools and lots and lots of assessment tools and diagnostic tools that already exist that have, people have been using for decades. And and uh, and um, why did why, why don't you just use those? Why do you need to why do you need to validate them for Nigeria? What's that all about? There is a lack of diversity when it comes to educational material depicting Black children in the field of applied behavior analysis. Human Expressions gives Black and Brown children realistic and detailed images of kids who look like them, modeling everyday skills that may be difficult for them to communicate or express. At Human Expressions, the benefits of representation for Black and Brown kids in educational curricula are clear. Increased self-esteem, reducing stereotypes, and increased validation and support. To learn more, go to www.humanexpressions.org. That's human, H-U-E-M-A-N, expressions.org. The second secret word is Ziffy. Yes, because we can't just, these tools are all developed in the West, right? Mm -hmm. So we just can't pull something that was developed, say, in the U.S. or in Europe and take it back to Africa because the dynamics, the culture, a lot of things are different. Okay. Mm. So um, examples that are used, the way we interpret things will be different when it comes to language. Okay. Mm. Um, and so I had to check to be sure that we could. Um, terminologies are also different. For instance, in the UK, you would hear people say, well, go to your GP in Nigeria and pretty much the rest of Africa, we don't say GP, we say doctor, which is mm. pretty much what you would get in the US. You go to the doctor's office, right? Yes. So things like that, it, I had to make sure that it, it would work. And remember I said at the beginning that previously, and even 
noun to some extent. People just take stuff off the internet or wherever mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. just use it. So remember the participants that were used in the original development were also very different in terms of, you know, whatever, the normative samples mm. were all different. Mm. So it, it was important that I, uh, you know, found out whether we can just use these tools that are in existence mm. as is. And plus there'd been quite a bit of debate in Nigeria. I remember a conference in Kenya that I attended pre-COVID. So I think it was 2017 thereabouts Mm. that there was all this noise around things not being culturally sensitive, especially with some of the diagnostic tools. Mm. And, you know, maybe the questions that they, that are being asked aren't relevant in the African context. A typical example would be um, when they talk about eye contact. Right. And But I say to people, eye contact is a phylogenic response. Every organism is born. Look at a typical child. Okay. And so when they, they follow you about with their eyes, the only deviation in the African context is that you're then taught not to look at your elders or whatever when you're speaking to mm. them. You see what I mean? So yes. those sort of conversations are what got me interested that I wanted to find out whether they were actually correct or not. Mm. So, so there could not- be there could be like behaviors that you're observing. Exactly. That might exactly. that might seem mm. Like mm-hmm. a like a symptom, but it's actually just a cultural norm or whatever. Exactly, mm. you know, you know. Mm. So, and the truth of the matter is that you know there is no apart from adaptive skills, really, where every organism, every human organism, behaves in a certain way. Um, you get dressed, you get dressed. That you know, um, every other thing really. Um, revolves around your environment, your culture, mm-hmm. your learning. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know what contingencies are in place in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was looking at this paper that you published um, with with Dr. Murphy and Dr. Langdon mm-hmm. around the screening tools. Yeah, um, and, and and sort of that systematic review of the tools for use in Africa. And you looked at a, like a lot of tools. <laughs> like we're not we're we're not going to list those off today because there are mm-hmm. so many in here. And, and so yeah. through all of those tools, you only found two that were valid in Nigeria. So yes, be- the reason being that because of the age range, mm. so I restricted it to adolescents, and the reason uh. behind that was. A- because like I said, in early years, there's a lot more awareness, there's a lot more work, but globally, adolescents haven't had that much attention. I see. Okay? Because whether we like it or not, and hopefully we will agree that in most environments, parents, there are quite a number of parents that are still in denial. They're not accepting of what's going on yep. with their with their children. Mm. And so- they linger, they wait, and by, especially if they, they're a bit vocal, okay? So mm. they they stay on that path of denial until it's very late, mm. okay? So by the time they're ready to face the demons, so to speak, these yes. children have hit the age of 10 or 11, and mm. so that's the of my particular environment where there's still quite a bit of denial or whatever, okay? I wanted to look at that specific population and see what's going on. What have we missed? And remember, like I said, my daughter didn't get any, as it were, formal testing until she was well into her adolescent years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so because you mentioned earlier that one of the things you do at Shades of Life is you do administer things like the ADOS and whatnot. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And so the ADOS, 
And again, I don't know a lot about diagnosis. So the ADOS, is that typically, I know that's the sort of the gold standard diagnosis tool, but is that typically the gold standard for that young age? Is that what that means? Or So yeah, so you know, the ADOS goes from toddler all the way to adult. Okay. Yeah, so it's really broad and then they have different modules that you can use depending yeah. on language or, you know, of your um, participant or mm. the individual that you are assessing. Yeah. And so was that one of the ones you looked at? So it was the one that I used for the convergent validity to compare. Okay, mm. so at, at the end of the day, the ones that I looked at were the SCQ for autism, eventually to, that into the validation study. And then um, the other one that's called the screener for intelligence and learning disabilities. That, that was a very new tool. There mm. wasn't an English version. Mm. So I had the... Um, benefit the pleasure and everything of and the privilege of having to work with the English version, have that translated and all of that, and then take it into testing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I guess I'm a little confused. So you um you were looking at all these kind of screening tools and diagnostic tools for adolescents and adults, uh, and you found a couple that, you know, had some validation for for folks in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Why? I'm, and again, this is maybe this is just me not knowing anything about diagnosis. Why? Why do you need those if the ADOS is good to adulthood? So the ADOS is diagnostic. The other ones were screening. Oh. So yeah. you were you were looking at screening tools, not diagnostic yes, tools. Yeah, exactly. But uh, the, those, I mean, we had to compare the outcome. You know, whether one way to compare is like, does it meet? Do we get the same results? Do we have the same identification? You know, all that is just mm, psychometrics, so, or you know, all that yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. Whether the finding using the screening tool would match what you would get. If you did a direct diagnosis, I so see, that's what we conversion, conversion, beg your pardon, um, validity. Uh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. No, that makes more sense. Um, and so, what were the tools that you found that worked? So that is what we're working on. Well, mm -hmm. that's the publication coming out. So we need to. So the publishers wouldn't like it if I went ahead of them. <laughs> Right, right, right. So, so we have to wait on that one. We we won't give away those secrets until we until we're in print. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But essentially, you found two two tools. You think? That, yeah, two that... tools for autism and two for um intellectual disability. Right. Gotcha. And what's typically used right now for so those are screening tools. Mm -hmm. What's used for diagnosing intellectual disabilities? So, yeah, that, that's it. That's why we, I went into all of this work. Right. You know, so like I said, look at um, what are the criteria. Does the individual meet them? So the mm. doctors, either the psychiatrists, the pediatrician will look at that individual and based on the criteria of the mm. IC or the DSM, say that they meet, the, you know, the gotcha. diagnostic criteria gotcha. for intellectual disability, autism, or whatever. But it's usually good to compare mm. and just not say that, you know, just one perspective. And we know that for intellectual disability, there's a lot more to it. You have the adaptive skills, and then you have mm. um, the IQ and the age of onset and all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, again, the, 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 the move right now is more towards adaptive skills because again what is intelligence okay <laughs> right but like i say to people adaptive skills are adaptive skills as mm -hmm. a human organism you can either do it or not right right yeah as long as there's no physical impairment that prohibits that activity okay or you can even have some assisted um, means of completing the same task. 
So it's quite easier to look at the adaptive behaviors in terms of, you know, rather than just measuring the IQ and which isn't bad in itself, but then to say, because I mean, a typical example would be, you know, there are some people that are street smart, right? Yes. They don't necessarily have to have a hundred and something IQ in order to understand what's going on. Right. Maybe maybe it's the way they've been brought up whatever it is so are we going to jettison all of that in place of some number that we mm. was, you know ascribe to them in terms of intelligence mm-hmm. that's a question that remains to be answered yeah for sure for sure <laughs> and again just mostly for my sort of ignorance but also for maybe other people that might wonder mm-hmm. why, why do you even need screening tools in the first place? Why not just diagnose everybody? Yeah. <laughs> that would be interesting, wouldn't it? But again, that, that's a very good question, but wouldn't that be subjective? It not as if using a measure still wouldn't be subjective. Okay. But you have a more scientific method of either including or excluding. And so that's what screening tools do for us. Okay, because if we left everyone to just go about, I could say, oh, Ben, you have intellectual disability and who's going to argue with me? Just you and myself. You see what I mean? But when we have a systematic and scientific or documented method of excluding and including, then it makes sense. Mm. But so I guess it's sort of so it's not enough to just sort of suspect that you know uh-huh. I have autism and do an ADOS on me. Now you know as behavior analysts, what are, what 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 do we say? It's got to be what measurable. Yeah, it's got to be objective. It's got to be clear, and I can see it. All of those things. So yep. the fact that you see somebody that appears to have autism, what's the definition? How do mm. we confirm? You see what mm, I mean? So yeah. that's the way I look at it as a behaviorist, not as just a clinician or anything. So mm. whatever I do, the science of ABA has to underpin it. It doesn't matter what it is because we right. know everything, you know. So we, we're trying to remove subjectivity from mm. A diagnosis by using tools. Hmm. Well, and I get, uh, and I get that for, and, ma- and maybe I'm just arguing to argue, but <laughs> uh, but I, I get that you you need a diagnostic tool to to mm-hmm. you know to confirm this individual has an autistic diagnosis uh, and is on the spectrum and so on. I mean that that it makes sense. We can't just say. Well, Ben, you're 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 not looking at me, and you're rocking a lot, so you're autistic. Um, um, you know, it just could be, could be anything. Um, but is the reason that you need a screening tool before a diagnostic tool just so you because you you're not going to diagnose you're not going to run the diagnostic tool with every single child that exists because that would be just too resource intensive or whatever. Is that sort of yeah. the reason why? Yes, yes, yeah. because I mean it's it's quite these tools are expensive. Mm. It is expensive, and having said that, part of what I say to people who can't afford to get that diagnosis is that if you, even if the, the least you do is screening, okay, right. and identify what the issues are, you can then go ahead and at least for the Nigerian situation have a professional or a team of professionals Mm. who can then work with you, okay? Because if you look at it from a behavioral perspective, I probably can see what's going on. I um, identify those through my observation and then come up with a plan while we're waiting Mm. for a label, okay? Mm -hmm. The thing that the label does is that it just helps you have access to some sort of support or service, mm. which is what happened in our case. Because my daughter had, we've been doing all sorts with her and for her, but at the point where we then required something more, 
and higher outside of our immediate environment, hmm. we had to have a label so we could access the relevant support at that point in time. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I don't want us to just get hung up on, oh, you have to have a label. The the thing the label does for you is just ha- allow you access better service where it's available. Yeah. Okay. Or if you can't get that label in the interim and we can identify what's going on with you and have the right team put together, then you begin to have some sort of help. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, You said, uh, you know, a few times, you know, that you, you, you've been, you, you were focusing on kind of adolescence and adult because, you know, there's folks are sort of denying and other things like that. And so, you know, by the time they kind of come around to realizing that, you know, maybe this isn't caused by the, the you know, some spiritual reason or some other reason, um, mm-hmm. or or this isn't even autism, this is just he'll grow out of it sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, are you doing any work to kind of... Um, around sort of awareness for folks so they so they can sort of so they do try to recognize this the third secret word is doctor earlier yes so what i started last year was because i'm a cyclist something i call ride for autism okay cool. so what we do is with my cycling club and a few people who are interested just um that's one of the events so we cycle we've got all the colors the jerseys are all and then we have all these newspaper and whatever publicity thing but beyond that i do um have on instagram we've got instagram live um and just bring on people who either have siblings or we're opening it opening it up to other caregivers, their support group to come and speak about this thing Mm. because um, we're having more older individuals come to us now. We're getting real, real adults, people in their 30s and, you know, 20s and that sort of age range coming. So, and that's really by speaking and doing all these things. And when people um, and the, the staff have also been trained that every opportunity they have to speak up, advocate. Oh, wow, and good. Without telling people, you know, the ethical part, oh, I'm working with so-and-so, but just keep speaking and educating the environment at every given opportunity. Mm. So that's something that we're doing, yeah? And then yeah. we're going to step up on the Instagram live and that sort of thing pretty that's soon. Awesome. Now I have this out of the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what you, you, you mentioned when we talked last time, related to the Instagram that you're doing something in particular with siblings. What what's that about? Yeah, so um it's called siblings perspective. I realized at some point in time that that's the way it started that my other daughters were usually in sort of some conflict with their sister. Mm. And when I sat down to think about it and have a conversation with them it was because they didn't have a lot of information. They really didn't understand what was going on with their sister and they hadn't expressed themselves as well. Mm. Okay. And so as soon as I realized that, we started giving them materials to read and have conversations with them, equip them. Yeah. And that's when the penny dropped. And I'm like, mm. okay, then surely there would be other siblings going through similar stuff, either wanting an out to express themselves and let friends and other people in their environment know what they're going through. And it's, it's a release of some, um, Mm. for them, you know, so it's worked. I mean, I know people have said to me, Oh, we know what to expect now, their, their perspectives and all of that. But beyond the environment, knowing what to expect from these siblings. I think it's also service for them that mm. they're able to speak out, okay, um, and let other people realize, hey, this is me. It, it's either you have me and all that I am, including my sibling, or none. And mm. so that's how that started. And then we're opening it, we're going to open it up to other um 
people in their environment. So it may be grandparents because now we're seeing that they're grandparents yeah. who are also care, primary caregivers. Sure. And so just talk about it. How has this changed your life? Um, what could be done differently? Mm. What do you want to see? That sort of thing, really. Mm. Mm. Neat. Cool. Right on. Well, it sounds like you're just doing doing lots of really interesting things <laughs> over there. Um, just one one more question about kind of all the research around the tools mm-hmm. and the cultural responsiveness in Nigeria. Obviously, you know, everyone's different and not every country in Africa is the same, you know, those mm-hmm. sorts of things. Yeah. But does your work... Does the work you're doing validate any of those tools outside of Nigeria, but maybe in other African countries at all? Or no, I haven't taken them there, but I'm as I want to believe that because it's in English, we know the English speaking African countries, especially the one for ID, they should be able to um use it within their own environments. Yeah. And usually it, it, it's usually good to just test it. Yep. Always test the tool in a new environment, even if we're all Africans. Sure. Okay. So it's usually, and anywhere else. I mean, it's sort of like you're in Europe and you do work in England and you assume that the, the fellow um, next door would, you know, because they speak English, maybe mm-hmm. Ireland or Scotland or something, yeah. wherever. I mean, that's, in, you know, so if, if you're talking Great Britain, but there are different locations, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So and people think differently. So yeah. it's always good to test whatever it is outside of, of the developing environment, really. Does does that happen? Yeah, there are lots of studies where tools have been tested in environments other than where they were designed. Yeah. Okay, there's a lot of research out there for such things. So either yeah. they've translated them to a different language, a different, you know, it's just best practice to have yeah. that done. Yeah. Cool. cool. Hmm. So what, <laughs> what, are, what, are, what are, you're just about, you're just about to, uh, you know, finish, sort of submit the final edited dissertation, you know, it's, you've, you've, yeah. you've, you've defended it and all, I guess. And yeah. now it's yeah. just, uh, you know, the, the uh, dotting the I's and. Mm-hmm. those sorts of things and page markers and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. What's, uh, what's sort of uh, the plan going forward? What now, what now, now that you're not, now that you're a, a doc, Dr. Zifi. <laughs> so it's just to do more research, more training. There is no data, no concrete data out of Nigeria and certainly North Africa. So mm. a lot of the figures that we have that, I mean, besides being estimates for Africa, um, th- th- we're not really included. The real data is there. So my desire would be to do more work with a bigger team, more, you know, um, multidisciplinary team, yes. and just get that data. Yeah. So we can begin to have the number, the prevalence and incidence um, rate for mm. Nigeria, you know, so which is a lot of work. These things yeah. are done over years, but at least to have a sense of the, um, you know, the rate, what's the rating and nobody has that information. So that's the sort of thing I want to do now and then keep training more professionals in our field using the science of ABA to underpin whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and, and knowing the prevalence and things like that, I guess, would also really help with just awareness for people like exactly it, it's really common folks it's <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah 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 interesting cool wow well it sounds like a lot of really neat things happening in nigeria and it sounds like you're just on the forefront of uh, a lot of big change uh, in the country and, and hopefully other parts of africa as well west africa and whatnot uh, really neat, really neat stuff. Uh, Thank cool. you. Yeah, Thank really, really good to kind of hear hear those perspectives and kind of, uh, you know, how things are going. But it's great to see that, you know, someone like you is taking the time to put all that effort into 
to make that change in the country. It's it's nice when it's someone, you know, from there that's doing that work too. I think that makes a big difference. And so yeah. versus Thank folks com- coming from outside, which is often <laughs> the way it goes. Wow. Really cool. Really. Cool. I'm really glad you came on. It was a really interesting Thank conversation. I didn't know where we were going to go and, and, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and it was good. Yeah. I, 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 I love these conversations with folks from other countries because I have no idea what we're going to talk about because I have no idea yeah. what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Really fascinating, really fascinating. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. Awesome.